The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. We are now learning something we, many of us, worried about and suspected, which is that millions of coronavirus vaccine doses are what the Daily Beast is describing as likely lost in the system of vaccine distribution. Although exactly what that means when you have such malicious players involved as Trump himself, Jared Kushner and others is a real question. Um, the Biden administration found out very quickly when they took over that there really was no plan for vaccine distribution, despite all of the claims about we've got the best generals and logistics and all of this different stuff. Um, there really was no uh, serious plan turned over uh, to the Biden administration for continued distributions of vaccines. And now it is appearing as though there are millions of doses just missing and the answer hasn't yet emerged. What we know is that according to data from the CDC at the time of the Daily Beast's uh, report on this, 41.4 million doses had been handed out to states and only 21.8 million had been administered. So that means there's 20 million doses in theory given to states, but not yet administered. Officials say they believe there is a surplus somewhere, but it's not clear how much of a surplus there is, because even though you hear those numbers, well, there must be 20 million doses sitting around. States are saying we're out of vaccines. We don't know. We don't know where these numbers are coming from, but we don't have vaccines sitting around. We're giving out doses in some cases almost as quickly as they come in. So Biden's coronavirus task force members went back and looked at the numbers again. They looked at local data. They looked at federal data. Here's what federal data says was given to states. Here's what local data says they have. And they looked at is it a manufacturing problem? Is it a shipping problem? Is it a receiving problem? Is it a waiting around to be administered problem? What's in warehouses? What's in, in hospitals, for example? They can't figure out what's going on. And every data set that they look at is missing something. And then when they look at a data set from a different source, it sort of overlaps, but it's inconsistent. It's incongruent. And um, what they've what they've uh, chalked it up to so far are what they are calling, quote, incredible inefficiencies. And I have to tell you that my suspicions, my fears, I think is be better said, are that this is significantly worse than that. Um, were there lies told about availability by the Trump administration? Right. And so what they claimed to have sent to states, they didn't because there weren't actually the numbers available that they claimed. That would be maybe incompetence and dishonesty, but not criminality. The other fear, of course, is were some of these doses delivered to the federal government and then something was done with them. I'm not saying Jared Kushner is selling doses to who knows where. I, at least I, I don't have evidence of that at this point in time. But is there some kind of skimming that has been taking place at this point? Everything is on the table because the numbers just don't make sense. The numbers just don't add up. And right now, Biden administration officials are taking the, the point of view that based on what they know right now, it seems to be a combination of shipping delays and 
kinks in reporting so that here's an ex here's like the most benign possible example. Uh, tech. I'm making these numbers up. Texas gets 10 million doses on paper. Federal government says we gave you 10 million doses. Texas gets them and then sends them right back out to hospitals and hospitals get the 10 million doses. But it takes them a while to report on the number administered. So a hospital gets 100,000 and they administer 80,000 and they don't yet report that they've administered the 80,000. They just say, listen, we only see 20,000 available doses. The 80,000 that were administered haven't yet been reported as administered. That would be like the most benign explanation. On the other side of it are really, really horrible uh, hypotheses about wrongdoing, malfeasance, falsification of orders, skimming and all sorts of things that seem very Jared Kushner, if you're familiar with his track record as a landlord in New York City in the New York City area. The other possibility is that they didn't steal anything, but things have been lost or things have been spoiled and they didn't want to come clean about spoilage. We know anecdotally of stories about uh, a pharmacist in I don't remember what state, maybe Wisconsin or Michigan, deliberately spoiled some doses because he's some kind of anti vaxxer and he's been charged. Uh, we know about some number of doses that uh, a cleaning. I think it was in Boston, a cleaning person accidentally unplugged one of the freezers that are used and a bunch of vaccines spoiled. And those there are reports of maybe there's some bigger spoilage issue or loss issue and it's not it's not being reported. I don't know what it increasingly does seem like, though, is that it's not that there are just millions of doses sitting under a table somewhere. And any day now we're going to find them and say, oh, the numbers all add up perfectly with every day that passes without answers to what's going on. Um, the, the idea that they're just going to find these uh, becomes less and less likely. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying check the freezers at Mar-a-Lago, but when it comes to the Trump administration and the dishonesty, I wouldn't put anything past them is the point. And hopefully at some point we're going to get some answers about what happened here. The good news is. And if you watched yesterday's Joe Biden uh, press event with me, you saw Joe Biden say that they are going to be upping vaccine uh, distribution from eight point six million doses a week to ten million doses a week. That's going to get us closer, not quite to one point five million per day, but in the one point two million area. We have the JNJ one dose vaccine that is supposedly just a week or so from presenting data to the CDC and hopefully we'll get approval there. It is plausible and hopefully increasingly likely that Joe Biden is right in what he said yesterday, that during spring, anyone who wants a vaccine will be able to get one. We're going to follow it. We've been following it and I'll keep you posted as far as that goes. The number of uh, rioters arrested and charged from the January 6th Trump insurrectionist riots is growing and growing and growing. And there is a very interesting story uh, well reported in The New York Times about a guy named Jackson Reffitt. And Jackson Reffitt knew that his dad, Guy Reffitt, uh, was in Washington, D.C. for the riots. And two days after the riots on January 6th, Guy Reffitt returned home to the family's house in Texas and he told his son, I was there. I was there on January 6th. I stormed the Capitol and Guy threatened his own son, Jackson, and said, Jackson, Jackson's 18. Jackson, if you report me to the police, I'm going to have no choice but to do my duty for this country and, quote, do what I have to do. 
Jackson went to the FBI and Jackson told investigators that uh, his dad had been there and that he stormed the Capitol and that he threatened him and said, if you turn me in, you're a traitor and traitors get shot. Um, incredibly, this was not the first contact that Jackson had with the FBI about his dad weeks before the riot. Um, Jackson went to the FBI and said, my dad keeps telling me he's going to do something big. And this is yet another one of those instances where we find out. And, and again, the FBI very busy with reports all the time. The FBI is getting reports uh, for, from all sorts of different people all the time about different things. But this is not a guy who no one thought maybe had the capacity to do this. Jackson Reffitt had already told uh, law enforcement that his dad was claiming he was going to do something big. Uh, guy Reffitt's wife said to investigators after the riot that a guy is a member of the three percenters. This is a far right militia group, according to the FBI affidavit. When FBI agents went to the Reffitt house, they found an AR-15 rifle and a pistol. And uh, the elder Reffitt told investigators, I did bring the pistol with me to Washington, where he is, as far as we know, not licensed to have a weapon. And this is an incredible story because number I mean, this is a story about so many things. Number one, it's yet another one of these stories of, hey, we told authorities in advance and they failed to do something. That is a story that has been told many times and we could devote an hour to that on its own limited resources, et cetera, et cetera. This is also an incredible story about a, a kid legally now an adult 18, but but uh, someone who has been observing their father mostly as a kid knowing that their dad was up to no good. And because politics tends to run in families, the kids tend to have the same political beliefs as the parents. The reality that uh, Jackson not only recognized that what his dad was doing was wrong, um, actually had the I don't know if I would call it audacity, but but maybe it's strength, maybe the conviction to say uh, it's more important that I tell the police what it is my dad is doing, even though uh, even even though he's my dad. And uh, we don't know whether the FBI did anything at all about the reports that came in prior to the January 6th riot. We know that federal investigators contacted him uh, during the riots, contacted the son during the riots to follow up on the tips from from we, uh, weeks earlier and said, uh, we need your help to to prove what we're now trying to investigate. And it is an unbelievable you know, we I get calls all the time about my family disagrees with me and they voted for Trump and I didn't. And I just want to talk to them and try to talk sense into them. This is like another layer altogether. And I think many of us I mean, listen, I, I, I would like to think that if one of my parents was involved in something like this, I would go to the authorities. Am I sure that I would? I mean, listen, if it was murder, yeah, I would. Um, I, I don't know what the line is for me. And so uh, imagining being in Jackson Reffitt's position is just uh, ju just just incredible. And uh, now, of course, uh, the elder Reffitt is going to have to face the consequences, partially as a result of the fact that his son did the right thing. And it. Think about the bizarre nature of the times we are living in it. The, the, the traditional trope is the parents worry about what are what's my kid doing on the Internet? 
Is my kid getting radicalized on the Internet? I don't know. Started spending a lot of time in their room, typically his room. It's typically uh, uh, men, not women uh, spending time in his room on, on the Internet and then had all these ideas. And I don't know what was going on. This is a reversal. Kids are having to make the decision to turn their parents in when their parents have become radicalized by, you know, Internet news media messages. Truly unbelievable times that we live in, not an easy position to be in. And we will ultimately see at the tail end of this how many of the charges stick and how many people are actually held accountable and suffer a consequence for what they did. Um, a lot of these cases are going to be difficult to approve in uh, terms of the most serious charges that could be brought. We already talked about sedition, sedition and other charges that require proving intent, and that's going to be tough. So uh, Jackson Reffitt doing the right thing. Let's hope it actually leads to charges that stick, because clearly uh, Guy Reffitt, a very, very dangerous guy. Let me know your thoughts about this. And it really is tragic. I don't see this and say, ha ha ha. I see this and say, wow, a family member placed in an impossible position about their parent because of the radicalization coming up as a result of this Trump uh, cult that has taken place. Let me know what you think. I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy, and anything they can't do online, they'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests, as an example. You don't need insurance. It's only 99 bucks a month with no other fees or copays. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs and situation. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me and my medical needs. They have a special offer only for my audience. You'll get 50% off your first month, but only until January 31st. So make sure to sign up soon. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book, 
you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read a brief history of time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library, but you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. The David Pacman Show is an independent media program. I have no editor that tells me what to cover, how to cover it, whether I can spend three, six or nine minutes on it. And the way that we are able to do that is that we're mostly funded by memberships from people like you. Grab a membership at joinpacman.com. Yesterday, we did a segment about some of the early wacky questions that we saw at the Joe Biden White House press secretary Jen Psaki's press briefings. Uh, these questions overwhelmingly coming from uh, Peter Ducey, a reporter at Fox News, who apparently now is part of the White House press corps. And we played some of those stories yesterday. Um, it is not just Peter Ducey now, but there are now multiple reporters who seem completely determined to make Jen Psaki's White House press briefings as much of a joke as they can make them, despite uh, the dramatic improvement, the upgrade that we've seen from Kaylee McEnany to Jen Psaki, who actually provides real information of value and substance, doesn't denounce the media as an institution when they ask tough questions. So I have more of these. We're going to look at some Peter Ducey clips from yesterday and other reporters. Here's a, a hypothetical from Peter Ducey. What if what if the Senate can't do impeachment of Trump and something else at the same time. Another question. Uh, the president says that he hopes that the Senate leadership can continue, uh, can do the Senate impeachment trial while working on the people's business. What if they can't? Well, as, as president, you always have to be hopeful, of course. Um, that's a completely absurd hypothetical that again doesn't even involve Biden. Peter Ducey and other right wing reporters determined to say to Jen Psaki and to Joe Biden and others, shouldn't you intervene in the Senate impeachment trial and either say to do this or to do that or to not do this again? Joe Biden should have no involvement whatsoever in the Senate impeachment trial. He shouldn't tell any senator on the Republican or Democratic side to do something or not to do something. He should simply not be involved in any way. And that is going to be uh, hopefully the continued response from Jen Psaki and from Joe Biden. Peter Ducey then with another question. Um, shouldn't the rioters in Portland also be seen as domestic extremists if you are seeing the January 6th rioters as domestic extremists or domestic terrorists? Just one more. The Riots in Portland and the violence in Portland recently. Uh, there was some discussion earlier about the January 6th rioters being reviewed by the DNI as domestic violent extremists. Are the rioters in Portland also being viewed through the same lens, or is that something different as the White House? Season? I think we, you and I talked about this yesterday and conveyed that uh, all violence happening around the country will be reviewed. 
So what Jen Psaki does well is not react much and just say, yeah, sure. Review everything she could say. Well, hold on a second, Peter. What we had on January 6th was X incited by the sitting then sitting president of the United States. What we've seen in Portland is something very don't even get into it. Just tell him we're going to look at everything and review everything. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, because that he wants to get a reaction from her and she does a good job there of, of not giving him one. Uh, here he asks, and and again, this is uh, it's the same hypotheticals. Is Joe Biden supportive of Florida hosting the Olympics if Japan backs out due to coronavirus fears? There is a report now that the chief financial officer of Florida has sent a letter to the International Olympic Committee that Florida would like to host the Olympics if Japan next year is uncomfortable because of the pandemic. Is a Florida Olympics in 2021 something you can see the White House supporting? Wow, well, that's a lot of steps that need to take place. And I don't know the entire process of the Olympics, but I would certainly think send you to the U.S. Olympic Committee and the International Olympic Committee first um, on what their assessment of that offer is. And, and certainly, of course, what their assessment is of Japan's preparedness for the Olympics. This is, you know, he he might as well go to my type of question. Jen, does the Biden administration believe that a taco is a type of pizza? Is an empanada a Latin American calzone from the perspective of the Biden administration? These are meaningless questions. And, and by the way, on the merits, it's ridiculous, but I'll get to that in a second. If it is true that Japan decides in the future not to do the Olympics and if it is true that Florida is interested and capable of doing it, what would Joe Biden's pick? Give me a break. Give me a break. And by the way, the funniest thing about that is Japan as a country has far better coronavirus numbers than Florida. And Florida is just one of 50 American states. Japan as a country, if Japan as a country says based on the data, it, we don't want to do the Olympics due to covid. There's no way in hell that it should go to Florida. Florida has been a much bigger disaster. Uh, OK, another reporter jumps in and asks, what is Donald Trump? What is uh, I'm sorry? What is Joe Biden's position on Donald Trump endorsing Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the Republican Arkansas gubernatorial primary of 2022? Yeah, you might be wondering what what why why is why would Joe Biden take a position on that? And indeed, he is not. Take a look at this. Yesterday, former President Trump endorsed Sarah Huckabee Sanders for governor of Arkansas in 2022. Where does uh, President Biden uh, stand on that particular race? And how high is this on his list of priorities? Well, how high is the Arkansas Republican gubernatorial primary on the president's list of priorities? Not high. Uh, I can confirm for you I'm not running for governor of Connecticut in the future. Uh, so I'm here to confirm that for you as well. These are just completely farcical questions. And we'll talk a little bit later in the show about Sarah Huckabee Sanders gubernatorial run. Here is one more back to Peter Ducey asking Joe Biden, what did you talk to Vladimir Putin about and Biden handles this perfectly and says, we talked about you, Peter. Mr. President, what did you talk to Vladimir Putin about? You. <laughs> I do find it entertaining that uh, Joe Biden clearly finds Peter Ducey entertaining and he seems to deliberately let let him ask questions. And what is absolutely fascinating to me is that on the one hand, these reporters like Peter Ducey, they seem determined to turn the press briefings with Jen Psaki and with Biden himself into opportunities to attack people with questions. Now, I think that that's fine.
Notice how different the reaction is from Jen Psaki and from Joe Biden. The Trump administration would have maybe kicked him out as they did at one point to CNN reporter Jim Acosta. They would have denounced the media as an institution. They would have scolded the entire room because they didn't like the question from one person. Um, I like that Jen Psaki and Joe Biden just answer the questions with the seriousness that they deserve on a case by case basis. And sometimes these questions don't really require a very serious answer. Very big news that I want to couch in some factual realities. Joe Biden yesterday signed an executive order uh, directing the Justice Department to end its use of private prisons. Joe Biden yesterday telling the Justice Department end the reliance on private prisons. Uh, acknowledge the central role that the federal government has played in implementing discriminatory housing policies. And Joe Biden made some remarks before signing these orders, saying that the U.S. government needs a completely new approach to the issue of racial equity. He said the country is less prosperous, less secure because of systemic racism, saying we must change now. It will take time, but we can do it. And a Biden called on the Justice Department to curb the use of private prisons uh, right away. Now, I think that this is very important. We've talked before about private prisons versus uh, uh, public prisons, but there are a couple caveats here and I want to be really clear. I'm not raining on Joe Biden's parade, but what I want people to understand is the reality of the numbers. First of all, in the United States, most inmates are held in state facilities, not federal facilities. So in general, when we're talking about federal prisons, it's a slice, a relatively small one of all inmates, uh, 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 generally speaking. If you look only at private prisons, most private prison inmates are in state private prisons. And in fact, just a few years ago, if you look at all inmates in private prisons, 78 percent of them are in state private prisons. Only 22 percent of private prison inmates are in federal private prisons. So the vast majority of inmates and the vast majority of private prison inmates are state inmates who would not be in any way directly affected by what Joe Biden is saying. Now, that being said, it is still very important that Joe Biden is doing this. Number one, the Bureau of Prisons, Federal Bureau of Prisons recently opted not to renew some private prison contracts in the recent months as the number of inmates has been dwindling and many were released to home confinement because of the coronavirus pandemic. This is the perfect time to say, let's keep going in that direction. And, and furthermore, there's no doubt that there are many states that will take the lead from the federal government when the federal government says at the federal level for federal inmates, we are going to get away from private prisons. Certainly, at least the more blue states and, and maybe purple states um, would see that as a signal, as the door opening for them to do uh, the exact same thing. So I, I do think that this is extraordinarily important uh, going forward. There's going to be there's another issue that follows this, which is that there are many private prisons that have occupancy minimums where essentially they have a contract with the state or federal government. It's mostly state, but they're state and federal where they say, OK, we will run this prison for you, uh, but you need to guarantee us a certain occupancy rate. If you drop below that occupancy rate, you still have to pay us as if we were that full.
And what that generates is a perverse incentive to f lower the bar at which you lock people up. If we have a 92 percent occupancy requirement with this prison, but really we're only using 85 percent. There's money we're paying as if we were locking people up, even though there's nobody locked up. Let's find some people to lock up so we get our so-called money's worth from these contracts. It's completely perverse. It, it, it's it could not be a more backward system. So if we are this is a great first step. We're on day seven. Yesterday was day six for Joe Biden, or I guess the, the, the uh, start of day seven yesterday for Joe Biden. This is a great start. There's no question about it. Um, but if we really want to permanently reduce incarceration. It's not just about doing away with the contracts with private prisons. Uh, we also need to change the approach as to who do we even try to put? Who do prosecutors even ask for prison time for? That's obviously a much bigger issue, and it's one that we've talked about before and, and we'll continue to talk about. But I agree completely with Joe Biden in doing this. Let's hope some states follow suit and let's hope we actually deal with, you know, there there is a trickle down effect here, which is what kind of policing do we do? Who gets arrested for what crimes? Who gets charged? What penalties and sentences are requested? All of that stuff runs downhill, so to speak, and ends up with what number of people do we have in prisons and what level of demand do we have for bunks or cells, I guess is what we would call them. And you've got to start at the top and allow those changes to trickle down. Joe Biden here sort of starting towards the bottom, but that's OK. And hopefully he will do much more. We'll have more about this on our Instagram page. Find us on Instagram at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Hydrant, which is a delicious fruit drink powder that you mix into water for rehydration. And they're giving you 25% off your first order. It's made with four key electrolytes that the body needs, powerfully supporting your hydration. Hydrant tastes great. It's made with real fruit juice. It's been a great part of my daily routine for a while now. Keeping myself hydrated puts me in a better mood. The body needs hydration for basic energy and focus and hydrant is the perfect way to rehydrate, especially because it's cost effective and lower in sugar compared to all of those popular sports drinks that are out there. You really have to try it for yourself to see what I mean. It tastes great. They also have a variety called hydrant immunity packed with vitamins A, B, C and D, which is also very much worth trying. Hydrant has a full refund guarantee if you're not satisfied and you'll get 25% off your first order. When you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Pacman or enter the code Pacman at checkout, that's drinkhydrant.com slash P-A-K-M-A-N. Coupon code Pacman. I've put the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Trivia Star, a free trivia game for mobile devices with over 60 different trivia categories, including things I know you would love like geography, history, science, many other great topics, movies, sports, food. I've been having a bunch of fun with it because I, as the player, 
get to choose the category. So I'm only answering questions on topics I'm interested in. There are over a thousand different levels to progress to over 10,000 different questions, which get harder over time. So it gets more and more interesting as you play. If you love trivia like I do, I remember the days pre virus of going out to trivia at a bar and you want a fun way to keep yourself sharp. Check it out. Really well designed game. Four point nine star rating and the number one rated mobile trivia game in the world. It's totally free. Just go to the Apple and Android app store and search for trivia star. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. I have some really interesting video to go through with you guys today. Uh, we are going to look at an interview that Republican Kentucky Senator Rand Paul did yesterday on Newsmax TV with host Greg Kelly, and he really makes a complete fool of himself. And there's something very interesting happening with Rand Paul. You might remember that Rand Paul kind of became buddies with Donald Trump while Donald Trump was president. They would play golf. And uh, increasingly, Rand Paul would defend the things that Donald Trump would say and do. And the, the pattern tended to be Trump would say something completely wacky or crazy or suggest or enact some completely harebrained policy or executive order. And Rand Paul would then appear on TV and he would sort of put like a slightly less crazy spin on it compared to Donald Trump. And compared to the way Trump was talking about the issue, Rand Paul would seem marginally more rational. But what's going on now is that with Donald Trump gone, Rand Paul is still saying equivalently wacky things as to what he was saying before. But without the even crazier Trump to compare him to, he seems as out of his mind as he has been for many, many years. So let's take a look at some of these. Rand Paul here says you can't impeach a president who has left office, of course, ignoring the fact that Donald Trump was impeached while in office. It's the trial that will start soon. But the impeachment of Trump, remember, impeachment happens in the House, did take place while Donald Trump was president. We had a vote on the floor and 45 Republicans said, look, you can't really impeach somebody who's already left office. That doesn't make any sense at all. So they've been repeating this one a lot. It's wrong. Trump was impeached while president. But imagine that defense anywhere else. The murder I committed. Yeah, I did that when I was a manager of a KFC. I, I don't have that job anymore. So anything I did while working at that job doesn't count because I can't get fired from there anymore. I already don't work there. What? Where else would that argument apply? And of course, it's factually wrong since Trump was impeached while he was president of the United States. Then Rand Paul tries to both sides the January 6th Trump riots by saying, listen, remember when that guy shot Steve Scalise? He was a Bernie supporter incited by health care. Now, what incited by health care means, I don't know. But let's listen to Rand Paul to beat this. And I think it's a terrible thing that they're doing to the country. The other thing is, is that even on the facts of the matter, whether or not there was an incitement of violence, I also mentioned in that speech you showed on the floor that, look, when I was at the ball field and Steve Scalise was almost killed, Four other staffers were shot, including one of them that was 10 feet from me. The guy who shot the, shot up the ball field and almost killed 20 of us was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and he had been incited by health care. Incited by health, <laughs> incited by health care. 
is not a phrase you typically hear in the world. But of course, Rand Paul here is either being disingenuous or ignorant. Bernie Sanders didn't incite anyone to shoot anybody. If the guy who shot Steve Scalise was a Bernie supporter and he shot Steve Scalise, that's very different than Trump at 1245 on January 6th saying we're going down to the Capitol and Rudy saying we're going to do trial by combat and on and on. And then at 1:15 p.m., 30 minutes later, they do it. They do it because Trump said it and because they thought they could steal the election for Trump. The analogy is so absurd, it's not even coherent. And we're seeing this from more Republicans than just Rand Paul trying to sort of both sides this um, to try to make what happened on January 6th equivalent to other things. And of course, there's there's two layers in which uh, there's two ways in which it's not equivalent. Number one, um, the acts that took place on January 6th are dramatically different than what these right wingers are trying to equate them to. But more importantly, uh, no president sitting or former incited any of the other stuff that they are talking about. And that's the subject matter of the impeachment. Rand Paul then goes on a very strange rant where he starts saying that a lot of what is called climate change might be merely be the result of the Earth's tilt not greenhouse gases or human activities on Earth. Scientists disagree with what Rand Paul is saying here. Remember, Rand Paul's an ophthalmologist. Well, some of this started a while back because, you know, when we started talking about climate change and global warming, that was before they decided they weren't sure whether it was getting colder or warmer. But now it's climate change. It's become so sort of settled science that everybody says there's only one way you can think that that's a recipe for a closed mindedness that really prevents innovation and prevents us move, moving forward. But if I were to say that there's geological changes over long periods of time, about 100,000 year cycles, these were called the Milosevic cycles, and that they have to do with hot and cold, and I'm not sure how much is sort of this natural phenomenon based on the Earth's tilt and how much is true to man, they would say I'm a denier. So it's it's not that Rand Paul is a denier per se, although it sounds like he might be. It's that he's an ideologically biased libertarian ophthalmologist who doesn't know about this stuff and for political reasons doesn't want to accept what science has determined to be the reality on this issue. So what's very instructive for me about this is that for some of us compared to the wackiness of Trump, a lot of these other Republicans for the last four years start you know, up, up to a week ago. A lot of these Republicans for the last four years seemed comparatively less crazy than Donald Trump. And it's probably true to some degree with Trump now gone. We are reminded of just how wacky Rand Paul is and just how wacky a lot of these other people are. We knew it all along, but with Trump in comparison, it was less obvious in some ways. It's now very, very clear things continue to not go particularly well for Rudy Giuliani, who I guess now we have to say is Donald Trump's former lawyer. It, do we know for sure? It seems at this point he really isn't Trump's lawyer anymore. A uh, YouTube said yesterday that they have suspended Rudy Giuliani 
uh, from the monetization program on YouTube, which allows you to make money from ads on your YouTube channel. The David Pakman Show YouTube channel is part of that program, and it is a revenue source for us, which has gone up and down. We have also had our trials and tribulations with that same program. Why was Rudy Giuliani suspended from that program? Because he broke YouTube's rules by sharing election misinformation. And what's funny is it's not just that Rudy was sharing election disinformation. He was creating election disinformation. We actually reviewed some of his so-called podcast episodes on some recent uh, live streams, and uh, he was not just signal boosting. He was actually a nexus, a catalyst of a lot of that information. The suspension from YouTube's monetization program for Rudy is going to last at least 30 days, and it started last week, according to YouTube. Now, I, I think it's very important to understand again with this. There are lots of people who are saying that's Google. Google owns YouTube. Google's anti right wing bias. If you've been watching this program for any period of time, you know, we've also had problems with YouTube monetization early on when we were talking about coronavirus long before most of our colleagues were taking it seriously. Um, we were fully demonetized on anything relating to coronavirus. Eventually, YouTube realized it seems this covid thing is going to be here for a while. Um, so we are going to allow that content to be monetized. There was a while where I wouldn't say the word coronavirus. I would say covid-19 because there was a period of time where covid-19 wouldn't get you demonetized, but coronavirus would. There are times where the YouTube algorithm has uh, demonetized my content, denouncing extremism and white supremacy because it couldn't distinguish it from content promoting extremism and white supremacy. We had Adpocalypse in 2017, where my entire channel was deemed dealing with issues too sensitive to qualify for any monetization. And in April of 2017, we experienced a 99 or greater percent loss of ad revenue. There were days we made 30 cents on YouTube. Uh, so anybody saying that YouTube is only going after right wing channels, I am I am proof and evidence that that has absolutely not been the case. YouTube widely and proactively announced you can't do the election disinformation. That content is not allowed. You can't allege that there was widespread fraud that changed the outcome of the 2020 or really any presidential election. Uh, elections of uh, discussions of election results are allowed. Content based around debunking false claims of fraud are fortunately allowed. Uh, but spreading the disinformation is not allowed. Now, Rudy can appeal the suspension. He can reapply to the program in 30 days if he removes the underlying issues. Rudy Giuliani did not respond to a request for comment from uh, NBC. So it's not a good week for Rudy um, demonetized on YouTube, sued for defamation by Dominion voting systems for one point three billion dollars. He says he will be filing a countersuit against Dominion. And that, of course, uh, remains to be seen. I'm getting the sense and I'm curious to hear what you think that Rudy is probably going to kind of evaporate and, and go off into the ether with Donald Trump completely silent in the week since he left office and with Rudy um, just taking shots left and right and now getting demonetized on YouTube. I don't know that I don't know Rudy's financial situation, but my guess is 
he's not going to be that worried about not making money off of his weird YouTube videos anymore. And that he's just he's in his mid 70s. My, my thought is he's ready to retire and may just kind of ride off into the sunset. Maybe I'm wrong and we'll continue to follow it. But those alleging that this is evidence of some uh, right wing anti right wing bias from YouTube, the David Pakman show YouTube channel um, a, and an experience in counterpoints to that claim. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. This is really interesting. Um, a YouTube creator named Shoe on Head, who has even more YouTube subscribers than we do, if you can imagine that. It's hard to believe, but the, she, she does. Um, she went to a Trump rally and she asked Trumpists, do you think burning the American flag should be legal or illegal? OK, and then there are subsequent questions. So let's look at some initial clips and start to get a sense of this. I would say uh, no. no. I do not believe that it should be legal. However, okay. asterisk, um, I believe in freedom of speech. Absolutely. However, hell no. Well, no, it's not, not really? very patriotic. You can't burn any flag. Of course not. It's a sacred, sacred article. In Boy Scouts, I learned that to hire a flag to burn it. So I don't think it's like inherently wrong. I think that's blasphemy. I, I will judge you. But I know, you know, I don't think you should be illegal. Like, arrested. I have, this, I have no respect for the person who did that. But I don't think you should be really trying to put you in jail for it. I believe in the First Amendment. Yeah. So I would not do it, but I would support the right for somebody to do it. I think when you make it illegal, you're going down the slippery slope. I believe that uh, as a First Amendment right, that you do have the right to burn the American flag. And I'm, I'm a veteran. Oh, okay. It disgusts me, the yeah. people that do it. So some interesting responses there, and it's fine that not everybody has the same opinion. Some say you should not be allowed to burn the American flag. Some say that you should. 
Some say that you should, but they wouldn't do it or it should be legal, but they find it disgusting. The funny and the interesting ones are the people who say it should be illegal, but I support the First Amendment. I support the First Amendment, but when it comes to burning the flag, that's just a bit too far. Now, interestingly, the topic with a bunch of these folks becomes the Black Lives Matter flag. As you might know, you may have heard that some right wingers were cited for burning a Black Lives Matter flag at a church during a prior protest. The issue is it's not an analogous situation. The issue with the Black Lives Matter flag was that it was someone's private property and it was taken from church property. Could have been a flag of anything that what was relevant was not that it was a Black Lives Matter flag. There's certainly nothing sacred or protected about a Black Lives Matter flag. So there's some confusion here. I really don't like people burning the American flag. Uh, the Proud Boys burned a BLM flag. If, if that's illegal, it should definitely be illegal to burn the American flag. If it's your property, then perhaps it should be legal. I think. Well, if you can, then you should be able to burn the, you know, the Black Lives Matter flag and not get arrested. Well, what if the Black Lives Matter flag is someone else's property? If you steal someone's flag and burn it, that's a whole different story. Now, of course, th that's exactly what was at issue in the Black Lives Matter flag incident a few months ago. Someone's flag was stolen while people were trespassing onto the church's property. So a lot of these folks seizing on that to try to create a uh, an analogous situation where where there isn't one. In this next clip, you have military veterans who disagree with each other on this issue. We're going to hear from vets who have different perspectives on this. Um, do you think it should be legal to burn the American flag? Absolutely. Yeah, because the Constitution says you can. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't want free speech censored at all. I mean, it's a First Amendment issue. Somebody wants to burn it. I suppose I support the right. I serve in the military to support people's rights to do a lot of weird things that I don't agree with. No. No? No, no I've served in the military. Uh -huh. That's not for I serve. Uh -huh. It's a free country. People want to do something. It's their right to do it as long as they're not hurting other people. I, I don't care what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Trump 2022. Yeah. It should not be legal. Not in this country. Definitely not. No? No. Never Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. 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 It's unacceptable, period. It's not be Now, that's really interesting. You know, some vets saying, yes, I, I fought in order to make that something that is OK, even if I don't like it. And other vets saying, no, no, that should be against the law. Um, and then the, the follow up. Now, this is really what I find maybe the most interesting for folks who said, Yes, burning the flag should be against the law. They were asked, what should the punishment be? What should the consequences be for burning a flag? Take a listen to this. They should uh, not be a citizen of America. Where should they go? Where should they go? Uh, Cuba, Russia, Germany, China, deported. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stripped of citizenship, deported 
to Cuba, Russia, Germany or China. Now, Germany's inclusion there is weird. I'm guessing the reason I'm guessing they're sort of saying like World War Two era Germany. I guess it's a Nazi reference. But what's interesting is that Cuba, Russia and China are certainly more the in the direction of places where flag burning might also be banned. And and what's very interesting is that this gets us back to the idea of so many of the folks who say, if you don't like it, leave it. If you don't like X about the United States, go somewhere else. Typically, the places they think of going to um, are not the places that actually make sense politically, both for the people that are on the right and the people that are on the left when you start pointing to authoritarian countries. But in any case, that's uh, so, sort of another uh, a, 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 another discussion. Let's look at a little more about what should the punishment be. The first thought that came to my mind, I'm not going to say burn them. Burn them? How about exportation? Where would you where would you export them to? Um, Antarctica is nice Antarctica. this time of year. That is caught burning the flag should be hung. Get their ass on the spot. Just get their ass whooped. On the spot. They're incarcerating people for the Black Lives Burning the Black Lives Matter sign. I mean, come on. And not doing anything for people that burn an American flag. This well, country's backwards. The Black Lives Matter flag is someone else's property. Do you think that's different? No, I don't. It's not national property. Burn them, export them, not deport them, export them like a sack of soybeans. Death sentence. Hang them, tar and feather, 30 days in jail, a year in jail, beat them up, etc. Extraordinarily authoritarian for the people complaining that even banning someone on Twitter is a restriction of First Amendment rights, even though Twitter is not the government. Deportation, prison, death for burning a flag. That's what you call ignorant authoritarian nationalism. It's nationalistic in the idea of the flag as this sacred thing. It's authoritarian in that it imposes extraordinarily authoritarian uh, points of view uh, or government actions on people. And it's ignorant in that it misunderstands you know, the, the reality of what is the First Amendment? What is the difference between a government limiting speech versus a Twitter uh, or a Facebook enforcing terms of service. Now, of course, legally burning a flag is speech. It's symbolic speech per Texas v. Johnson in 1989. There have been flag burning amendments proposed over time to outlaw burning the flag, but flag burning is uh, legal. This is interesting because you actually see the split between more traditional conservatism and Trumpian authoritarian faux populism or as I just mentioned, ignorant authoritarian nationalism. That's a lot of isms, uh, but it's a lot of incompetence as well. So you, you may need a lot of isms to describe it. Actual conservatives might dislike flag burning, but they know that this is a very black and white issue. It's legal, it's speech, and it's fundamentally American that it is legal to burn flags. They don't have to like it, but they would understand that the Trump cultists the faux populists, the authoritarian nationalists, etc. Trump has said jail people for burning the flag. They are essentially as authoritarian as Trump, so they go for it just like Donald Trump did. And this will be a split that we're going to have to track 
in the Republican Party over the next couple of years. And we're going to talk uh, in in the next story. We're directly talking about this. Um, But this is definitely a division within the current Republican Party. Now, my perspective would be flag burning is legal, should be legal. There's nothing sacred. My goal would be let's make this a country where everyone is so proud and satisfied with how it's being run that nobody feels the need to burn a flag in protest. That's my perspective on this. And of course, it should be legal and it is legal, period. Uh, OK, um, we have now learned that what we suspected is happening. Former White House press secretary under Donald Trump, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, will be running for governor of Arkansas in 2022. She will be first needing to win the Republican primary in 2022. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is 38. She was a completely unabashed, dishonest promulgator and defender of Trump's lies. And it would be terrible for the country and for Arkansas for her to be the next governor. But she really does have a shot at it. Her father, of course, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, her family well known in Arkansas. I think it's quite plausible that she could win the Republican primary and subsequently become the governor of Arkansas. Now, what I find more in there's a couple things I find interesting about this. Number one is that uh, she apparently has been endorsed by Donald Trump. There's a real question as to whether that's helpful. And right now, with a lot of the Republican electorate still being very pro Trump, it might seem as though it would be helpful. In June of 2022, as we get closer as in the primary, as we get closer to November of 2022, it is an open question whether a Trump endorsement or a Trump administration association will be helpful or not. Now, under the same umbrella, there are questions as to whether uh, Trump's daughter in law, Lara Trump, will run for senator of North Carolina. Will Ivanka run for something? Will Don Jr. run for something? Are other Trumps going to look at trying to be president in the future? And the next two years are going to be people keep calling in and asking what happens to Trump is what happens to the Trump movement. And my answer has been we don't know what we need to track is number one. Do these Trumpian members of Congress like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert and Madison Cawthorn? Do they get reelected in 2022? That will be a signal as to whether these are sort of one hit wonders, one term wonders that rode on uh, Trumpism in 2020 and it's not going to get them any further. But if they get reelected, that would be a real signal. If Sarah Huckabee Sanders, with the alleged endorsement of Donald Trump, wins the Republican gubernatorial primary in 2022 and becomes governor, that would be a sign that Trumpism has some staying power. But we just don't know yet. And it's too early to say um, we we uh, we I don't even know that it makes sense to say more because we just have to wait and see. Now, one quick thing. I played this clip earlier in another context. Uh, Joe Biden's White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked, what is Joe Biden's position on Trump endorsing Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the 2022 Republican Arkansas gubernatorial primary? Yesterday, former President Trump endorsed Sarah Huckabee Sanders for governor of Arkansas in 2022. Where does President Biden uh, stand on that particular race and how high is this on his list of priorities? 
Wow. How high is the Arkansas Republican gubernatorial primary on the president's list of priorities? Not high. Uh, I can confirm for you I'm not running for governor of Connecticut in the future, uh, so I'm here to confirm that for you as well. Yeah, so <laughs> very low priority right now for Joe Biden, as you can imagine, Trump's endorsement within the Arkansas Republican primary for an election two years away. And for whatever reason, that that clip really tickles me. No, it's not very high on Joe Biden's list. Um, we're going to follow all of this and see what is the long term impact, if any, um, of uh, Trumpian politics on the House, Senate and governor's races in the next and upcoming elections. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here is a question I'm increasingly getting about the possibility of mandatory covid vaccinations. Take a listen. Hi, David, this is Talia from North Carolina. My question is, with the vaccine getting rolled out and Biden making it one of his priorities, what do you think will happen with mandatory vaccines for kids in schools? Because I know that there's many vaccines that the government has made mandatory for people to go to school. So do you think Biden will have to decide on that? Um, So, no, Joe Biden is not going to have to decide on that. Decisions about vaccine requirements for attending public school are typically made at the state level. They maybe even be made at a more local level, but, but typically those are state level decisions. I think we need to be really careful with our terminology here. A mandatory vaccine is a vaccine that you are required to have rather than simply one that you can choose to have if you want to participate in a certain activity or avail yourself of a certain business service or educational institution. So it's really important that we be clear with the language. The coronavirus vaccine is not going to be mandatory in the sense that no government, state, local, federal is going to force anyone who doesn't want a vaccine to get one. What we are going to see and we're already hearing from it is that everything from airlines to, yes, maybe schools will say if you or your kid want to travel with us, come to a concert, Live Nation, Ticketmaster are talking about this, maybe attend our school, which is your choice to do or not to do, you would be required to be vaccinated. Now, you don't have to be vaccinated. You just might not be able to fly JetBlue. Maybe Delta will allow you. I think Delta already said they're going to require vaccinations. This is hypothetical. A a private school could also say at this school, you have to have a coronavirus vaccine to attend. Some private schools have laxer rules on vaccination than public schools. Some don't. So it's really important that we not fall into this idea of a vaccine made mandatory by a government. Public schools are run by states and municipalities. They're not going to force a vaccine on anyone, but they may say if you choose to send your kid to the school, they must have a vaccine, as is already the case with a number of different vaccines in different states and municipalities. So let's take control of of what this actually is, which which are requirements for participation as as they exist uh, uh, in, in many different areas across many different industries. And I do expect that um, many businesses because of the risk to their business of coronavirus outbreaks will have a variety of different uh, guidelines that say uh, if you want to fly with us or travel on our train or whatever, uh, employers might say we require employees to be vaccinated for this or that. 
you don't have to work here. Working here is optional. You can go to a different employer if you want. But to work here, you need this vaccine or that vaccine. Fully expect that that is going to happen. It'll be up to people to decide uh, whether they want to uh, avail themselves of a certain school or of a certain airline or whatever enough that they will choose to go and get that vaccine. We have a great bonus show for you today. We will talk about a federal judge temporarily blocking Joe Biden's pause on deportation. We will talk about how in 2020 airports, uh, people were caught with guns twice as much in 2020 than in 2019 at American uh, airports. And we will talk about the possibility of mandatory covid tests for domestic air travel. I actually think this is long overdue and I will explain why on today's bonus show. Get instant access to the bonus show by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.